as, as Chuck said, we're in Galatians, the book of Galatians. To me, the three hardest books in the New Testament are the Revelation, Hebrews, and, and Galatians. Uh, Galatians is a stretch, I think, for everybody. If, if you've been uh, sitting in these messages, if you've been hearing the discussion, you know how intricate things uh, are. It's kind of like a, a puzzle with a, a you know thousand pieces, and you're always trying to fit them together so that they create the picture. In this case, that the Apostle Paul uh, wants, and and so uh, we're going into, and Chuck was there last week, but we're going into the most difficult part of the book of Galatians now. And yet, one of the most integral to your understanding of Christianity and your place in it. So a little bit of uh, background about the third chapter of Galatians. Well, the date was January the 1st, 1929, 90 years ago. Many of you think that I was actually there. I wasn't actually <laughs> there, but I heard about it. Okay. Uh, January 1st, 1929, the uh, University of, of California, Berkeley, was playing uh, Texas, no, no, Georgia Tech, for the national championship in the Rose Bowl. Big game by, I mean, if you're not a football person, that's a big game. You know that's a really big game. And so the Golden Bears were playing the Yellow Jackets uh, on, that, uh, on that day. Now, uh, California had a, a, a big man. He, he was the center of the team. Roy Regal was his name. And uh, he, he was a giant of a man played center, okay? And if you know anything about that position, that's really about blocking more than anything else. The, the center is not known to be a runner, okay? Now, uh, Roy Regal recovered a ball that had been dropped by Georgia Tech. And he started running. And he ran and he ran. He was thinking, well, why isn't somebody catching up with me? But he ran and ran until he was tackled on the one-yard line by a teammate. Now, why? Why did a teammate stop him? You've already figured it out. He ran in the wrong way. Can you imagine? I mean, that's a, that's a huge mistake. He ran 69 yards in the wrong way way. And well, the story goes about this game, uh, unfortunately, uh, California lost the game by one point. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, there's something else that we've got to slip in here. After that 69-yard run and, uh, and the team was at the first yard line, their own first yard, yard line, California made a wise decision, and that is to try to kick that ball down the field so that they weren't in jeopardy of, of 
Texas getting a, a score. But their punt was blocked. <laughs> and the other team, Georgia, recovered. This is called a safety. And, uh, and they got two points out of it. So now you get the rest of the story. They lost by one point, and that means that Roy Regal's mistake cost them the national championship. I would imagine it was a long afternoon for him, don't you? Well, uh, so, he made a mistake. It cost the game. That's a big deal. Everybody makes mistakes, though. You make mistakes. I make mistakes. I make mistakes a lot. You can ask Marcia. I'm really good at m making mistakes. It was my minor in, in college, actually. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I make mistakes. You make mistakes. Sometimes mistakes are just sincere mistakes. Let's read Galatians 3.15. To give a human example of what Paul's been preaching the last week, that Chuck uh, spent his time on in the Word last week, to give a human example of how this all works out, brothers, even with a man made covenant or testimony or contract, even with a man-made covenant. You know, the kind that we make with one another and with businesses. Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. So what does that mean? Well, uh, let's say you buy a house and you're paying four and a half percent interest on this house. And one day you just decide, you know, I only want to pay one percent interest. Well, how's that going to work for you? Uh, well, I'll tell you how it's going to work. It's not going to work for you. And why is that? Because a contract has been made, right? And to change that, there's got to be both parties wanting it. You just don't go out and change a contract. That's the point here. Now, the promises of God, this is God's promises to his people. Now, the promises of, uh, were made to Abraham and his, would you look at the number here? Is it a plural word, singular word? It's singular. Abraham and his offspring. Now, Paul's going to dig into that a bit. And he says, it does not say to and uh, to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but rather to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. And so this promise came to Abraham. You remember this story. Abraham is um, a, a wealthy herder there in the Ur of Chaldees. And God came to him and said, head out, head west, I'll tell you when you are where I want you to go. Okay? Can you imagine him trying to explain that to his wife that afternoon? We're, we're, at, we're leaving home, and I don't know where we're going, but we'll find out. God will tell us. And so they head out. Oh, sorry. I, it was breakfast, I think. Uh, it, they, they head out, and Abraham 
is being obedient to God. Why was he being obedient to God? Because God had told him to do this and that God had made certain promises to him. And one of those promises that from his offspring would come a mighty nation of believers. Well, uh, let's go on here. And it says, uh, let's see, verse 17. This is what I mean. The law came, which came 430 years afterwards. What? what? Well, what he's saying here is there was this covenant, and this covenant between God and Abraham was in effect for 430 years. That covenant, that agreement was that we would be saved by faith and not by the things we do, made right with God in that way. And so 430 years afterwards, does not annul the covenant previously ratified by God as, so as to make the promise void. Okay. It's really tight logic that is using here. 430 years after God promised to Abraham that he would have uh, the blessing of a name, a nation, uh, and, you know, and land, and the other aspects of the promise. Uh, 430 years after that, God comes to Moses and give it, gives him the law. And the law ends up to be the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The law. And so this law is given, but Paul says, now listen, this does not annul the promise that had already been made to Abram. Abraham, this is still in effect. And so he goes on. Uh, this is what I mean, verse 17. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant, a contract, previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. The promise made to, to uh, Abraham still in effect. Uh, for if the inheritance, that would be what Abraham was promised, for if the uh, inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer comes by the promise. So uh, God makes an Abraham, uh, Abraham a promise. And it, that promises salvation by faith. And so now God's given the law, but if you give him the law, the, uh, the, the Abrahamic covenant still in effect. It no longer comes by a promise, the promise of salvation by grace, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise, meaning it's set in stone, so to speak. Well, people make mistakes, as I said earlier. The, some are little mistakes. Some are big mistakes. Uh, you know, they've been crazy people driving the wrong way on the freeway recently. That's what I would call a pretty big mistake. Well, when it comes to your spiritual life, though, a mistake here has eternal ramifications. And so uh, the Galatian church was making that size of a mistake. How did this all happen? Well, uh, Pastor Chuck's been telling us how it happened. Teachers came into the Galatian church. They're called Judaizers. 
and their mistake was called docetism. Now, these Judaizers believed this. They believed that people could be made right with God. But it would have to be by faith and by works. Both faith and works. The faith and the law, if you would. I want to define a couple of terms that, that we talk about a lot in church, but maybe not always understand exactly what it means. Let's take the word, the term law, for example. What is that? Well, it's more than just the Ten Commandments. All right? Uh, here's a, a definition. It is those, the law is those Old Testament decrees and commands that show us three things. The holiness of God, number one, reveals what God expects of those who follow him, number two, and number three, it confirms that we cannot obey our way to God. All right. Now, that's what I have to say to you today, but I want to work on it more. There is one reason that Jesus came to our earth. We believe that Jesus came to the earth. Why did he come to the earth? He came, in part, to live that law, the law of God that's given for those three reasons. He came to live that law perfectly, completely, without any mistake. And because he fulfilled that, because he lived the law perfectly, that allowed him to escape the law of, uh, that, that we would call um, the law of sin and death. In other words, because Jesus lived a perfect life, he did not have to die. He could make a choice, though, to die. And that death could mean that he would be our substitute. See, this is where uh, I'm not sure it's, it's all that clear to people. He became our substitute. When he was dying on the cross, all of the punishment, all the consequences that belong to sin, to our sin, was laid on him because he came to be the substitute, him dying in our place. And his suffering, his death, and his resurrection then became ours. His death, ours, his resurrection is ours as, as well. Now, because he chose to die in our place, we have good news to, to tell. And that good news, of course, is called the gospel. When you hear the term gospel, what does it mean? Well, it's not the kind of music. Uh, it's not just the first four books of the Bible, of the New Testament. What is the gospel? Well, here's just a definition of it. It is the fact that Jesus came to the earth to fulfill the law of God entirely and then to choose to suffer the consequences opposed on sin. What did, what did God say to Abraham, uh, to um, Adam and to Eve? 
he said, eat anything, everything you want. Just leave this alone. So what did they do? They did not leave it alone. They go right to it. And they rebel against God. And so God had said, if you eat of that, then you will surely die. And they ate. But they didn't die. They didn't die at that moment physically. They'd go on to do it, uh, uh, have taste death physically. But they, they did experience the death in the relationship with God. See, death means separation. And immediately they experienced that separation with God. Well, Jesus comes into our world to fulfill that commandment of sin and death. The, past, the definition could go on. He was punished, Jesus was punished, so that we will not have to endure the consequences of what we've done. As we repent, here's another church word, repent. What is repent? Well, let me show you what repent is. This is repent. That's it. If you're heading one direction, you stop and you change direction. It's like going downtown Phoenix, heading the wrong way on a one-way street. What are you going to do? Well, you, when you recognize what you've done, you've got to turn around and head in the right direction. That turning around is repentance. When it comes to repentance, it's what we do in which we say, I've tried to live my life. I've tried to... to be right with God by what I've done. But here's the fact. I didn't accomplish that. Not at all. And so I know my condition. I'm turning around. And I'm going back to know Jesus. So that's the basic idea. The Galatians had been taught that God's acceptance came from the keeping of those laws and uh, not by just faith alone. And so, the Galatian church was unfortunately back under the obligation of the law in their own minds. And because of that, they were saying, I can be saved, but I've got to do it through works. And so, they were mistaken. They were sincerely mistaken. But this was a huge mistake spiritually for them. All right, so let me kind of recap this. Uh, the teacher came, and by the way, teachers like this have flooded the church today. You can go to most any town and most any church and find that there are people preaching this same thing in some way that you have to come to Christ by faith and by what you do. You can hear it on television uh, with by television preachers all the time, okay, to one form or the other. And so it's not like it happened back then and it's not happening now. It's happening now every bit as much as it did then. And so they were teaching that God made this covenant with Abraham. And God's grace allowed Abraham to be saved. How? By faith. Uh, Romans 4.3 says this. Abraham 
believed God and it was counted for him for righteousness. In other words, salvation, God said, salvation would be by faith and not by works. So this 430 years later, God gave the law and God gave the law to Moses. And, all right, the point here is that many people then, many people believe today that, that in effect, that the law replaced, that it annulled the promise that God had made to Abraham. Is that, is that clear? Is it making any sense? I hope so. They believed that salvation came from law-keeping. In other words, they, did, they believed that the law, that, that the promise made to Abraham was no longer in effect. And so the Galatians believed that you can obey your way to God. In other words, the law was annulled by the new covenant, and that new covenant was with Moses. But in today's passage, Paul's arguing, and you know, he's an incredibly smart man, great education, and God's power was clearly upon him. Uh, and so he's going to argue, he's going to use logic here. And his argument is that you cannot unilaterally change a contract. You can't just start paying 1% on your, on your house loan. But instead, uh, God never changed that promise that he had made to Abraham. Now, verse 16, it says, So the promise, promises, were made to Abraham, that he'd have a great nation, that he'd have an entire promised uh, land, uh, and uh, that the world would be blessed through him. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his singular, to his offspring. It did not say to his offsprings, Paul says, referring to many, but referring to one. So what does that mean? That God made that promise to Abraham. That from him would come a lineage through David, and ultimately it would come to Christ, the God-man born in Bethlehem of Judea. All right. So Abraham's offspring was Jesus. So what does that mean to us? What's, what's the result of that? Well, it means that Jesus fulfilled Abraham's promise, the covenant, the contract. And while he was doing that, by faith, he also came along and fulfilled every one of the laws of God. Every one. He failed in none. Unlike you, unlike me, unlike anybody else in all human history, he fulfilled every one that put him in a brand new category. And that category would be he would be able to choose to die on our behalf. So if we repent and believe that what he did was to take the punishment for our own sin, the benefit of that punishment, uh, that the consequences of the punishment that he endured, now 
he endures for us. So, so we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, not by being good and keeping the rules. Jesus kept them for us. And what does that mean to us? Well, all right. It means that the covenant with Abraham, which is salvation by faith in God, that the covenant that was given to Abraham, which is salvation by faith and not by works, is our promise. See, that's how it came about. Now, that's our promise. And because Jesus is Abraham's offspring. I know I'm being redundant, but it's difficult, and so let's be redundant. Because Jesus is Abraham's offspring, because Jesus fulfilled the law completely, because Jesus said what we must do is repent and believe, and then the benefits of his sacrifice become ours. Salvation by faith in Jesus and what he did. And so, the gospel has overcome the law, you see. Now, let's read just a little bit more. Verse 19. Why then the law? Now, that's a totally logical question. After all, if the promise to Abraham was still in effect, and it was, if it's still in effect, then why in the world did God ever give us the law anyway? would be the argument the Judaizers would have. Uh, and here, Paul writes, it was added, this, the law, keeping the law, was added because of transgressions. What's a transgression? It's a synonym for sin. Rebellion against God. Because of the transgression. Until, see there's a time limit here, until tells us about time, until the offspring, Jesus, should come to whom that promise to Abraham was actually made. And it now in place through the angels by an intermediary. What's the intermediary? Jesus himself. So what is this telling us? Why is it important? Well, it's telling us that the law is very helpful for us. It's so helpful because it shows us our sin. Some people de deny that they're sinners. In fact, you know, the basic idea I think of many in, in the world is, you know, God grades on a curve, and if I'm in the top 50%, then I'm okay. All right? God does not grade on a curve. All right? Not at all. He doesn't, he doesn't decide about us based upon our performance. So the law helps us understand our sinfulness. Look at your own life. In light of the law, look at your own life. What do you see? Well, I'll tell you what I see. I see sinner. And don't take that personally. I'm one too, all right? Uh, we are sinners. We are rebellious against God. We want to do our own thing, go our own way. We want to be in charge of our lives. And so the law helps us see all of that and calls us to look at ourselves. And the law shows us also that 
Jesus did it for us. As I've already said four or five times. Verse number 20. Now, an intermarry, intermediary, uh, the the mediator between God and man, implies more than one, but God is one. Jesus is one uh, as God. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? God gave this promise to Abraham, and then these laws came along. Abraham's uh, promise was salvation by faith, and now these laws come along. And so uh, does this imply that that the, the law was contrary to the promises of salvation by faith? Well, he says, certainly not. In fact, if you look at it in the language of the New Testament, it's screaming. Forget about it, is what he's saying. For if. You know, if is a little word that we jump over so easily in uh, our, our Old Testament New. It's huge. All right, Look at how important it is here. For if a law had been given that could give life, eternal life, forgiveness of sin, that could give life, then righteousness, fulfilling that law, would indeed be by the law. But Scripture, the the Scripture imprisoned everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. In other words, if the law had been given, if God could, could make a law, that if you keep that law, it will make you right with him. If he could have given a law, you just do this and you're going to be right with me from now on, he would have. But you see, we wouldn't even keep that law. We're rebellious. We wouldn't have been killed with that law. And so God gave a promise, and that promise is that Abraham was made right with God by faith, and so are we. Another way to put this real succinctly would be, we're not saved by doing good works, but we're saved by faith. But after we're saved, then God will give us the desire to do good works. Application. How do we go about trying to apply something like this passage anyway? I mean, what does it really mean to you and me as we're living today? Well, number one, if you have the impression that you can be baptized, and that'll make you right with God, or you can join a church, and that'll make you right with God, or you take communion, that will fix your relationship with God and, uh, and make you eternally secure in it. If that's your view, hey, you're wrong. You're sincerely wrong, but you're wrong. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I believe in baptism after we're saved, and I believe in joining the church, but it's not so that to bribe God to say, okay, you're in. Not at all. We do it because we love the Lord. And his presence in us leads us to do right. So 
this, this impression that somehow you can do the right things, baptism, Lord's Supper, so on and so forth, that will not in any way make you right with God. Number two, if you have turned away from your sin, and if you have believed in what Jesus has done on your behalf on the cross, then you have been made right with God, just like Abraham had. I have to stop and ask, have you done that? Have you done that? Have you turned your life to the Lord away from your sin? You're turning your life to the Lord to do what he wills and place your faith in Jesus. And the result of that is salvation. Have you done that? If you haven't, then you're still under that law that God gave to Adam and Eve, and that is sin, the law of sin, bringing death. I just urge you today, urge you today, to ask that Jesus come in and save you. Next, number three. Well, God, this is not a trick question. Will God love you more if you had a long, quiet time today? Longer the quiet time, the more he loves you? No, that's not how it works, you see. Because the love of God is given to us without works. And it comes to us by faith. And then finally, uh, I, I was turning across the television saw this. And I never watch these because they just make me mad, uh, but uh, here was a, a television preacher who was basically saying, God will heal you if you send me enough money. Uh, okay. Uh, so, can you send that radio preacher enough money to make you right with God? To bring about his blessings in your life? No. You can't. Again, forget about it. That's not the way it works. It works like this. We come to God in faith and we ask him to move in our life to do things, but we also recognize he's in charge and he will do the right thing. One final application. Celebrate your salvation. Celebrate it. I mean, just look at what's given to you. You don't have to go out and keep rules to somehow make you right with God. You couldn't do that. So celebrate what God has prepared for you. And that is repent and place your faith in Jesus and he will make you right with the Father. Let me pray for you.